Man, I so preferred when we did it. That was lame as shit. <laughs> it's almost like we're uh, starting a sci-fi hour. No, but it was even worse than that. It was just more like classical. Uh, we've lost people already. Yeah. Uh, but no, welcome <laughs> to the Strength Ratio podcast. This is episode three. I'm Zach Greenwald. Join in person. We've got a few locations going on with Becca Lee. Becca, do you want to just introduce yourself to the audience for those who don't know you? Hi, I'm Becca. I'm the other um, face behind Strength Ratio that you may not see as much. Happy to be here on the podcast. Uh, and Becca and I are in, uh, we are in Savannah, Georgia for American Open Masters Championship. And uh, from a distance joining us is Eric Soboliski. Sobo? I'm here, as usual. And, uh, and Kyle, who's uh, back home at our headquarters in Asheville. And fortunately, he's still with us after a, a narrow escape with no spotter and a heavy set of squats with a safety bar. And uh, thing ever. he soon realized that that could potentially be a very bad idea um, if you have no way to bail. But he's here, he's safe and sound, and we're uh, all ready to go for episode three. And the topic for today is going to start, generally speaking, about training age and biological age. We spoke last time about master's athletes this time, we're going to actually open it up with uh, a very young athlete. We'll talk about a young weightlifter, namely, but then we'll get into the CrossFit side of things. Um, this young weightlifter is one who many know. His name is CJ Cummings. In fact, CJ started his weightlifting at the very center uh, where we were moments ago. In fact, we're one of our athletes, went five to six. Shout out to our, our lifter, Joan. Um, but you see CJ's numbers on the board. It's his... Uh, it's his first gym. It's where he learned how to lift uh, with the Coens, who are really the founding fathers of American Masters weightlifting. And with CJ, we're going to tie together not just training age and biological age. We're also going to talk about how in sports you may have heard about these freak athletes, or these athletes with lots of genetic potential, and what considerations we have for these freaks, for non-freaks, and for people who have young training age, they're new to the sport, or just are young in age, generally speaking. CJ, when he first started uh, to emerge on the weightlifting scene, I believe was 14 or 15. So um, we're going to kick it off with Sobo, and Sobo is going to discuss a little bit about when working with these athletes who are very young to training, new to training in their age, they are actually of young biological age. Do we have any special considerations for them? relative to, say, the master's population that we spoke about last session or the general population at large? So speaking in general, um, going into some, some idea of kind of going back to the, the Russian GPP, the general physical, physical preparation, for most of us, we are not elite trained athletes. And kind of a, a preface to that is there are elite athletes, and those are sometimes the freak athletes, but very often they are not elitely trained. So CJ has been training for years, and he's, you know, if you ask his coach or people in his camp, he's probably st still not elite trained because that takes years. You're talking, you know, 
close to 10 years of constant training to consider yourself an elite trained athlete. So majority of the people out there are going to be normal trained athletes who need a good general physical preparation model to help them train. Very often mm-hmm. in the United States and in the Western world, we, we kind of call this concurrent training. You got to be a little bit of strong, a little bit of endurance, a little bit of mobility or gymnastics. So when you are developing a program or evaluating an athlete, the best start, the best place to start is just general physical preparation. You're saying that regardless of the upside that an athlete may show, the the natural strength, so to speak, that they display, that they wouldn't be treated under special circumstances relative to someone walking into the gym for the first time. So that's kind of the mistake I think a lot of young trainers make and a lot of people make is when you get one of these freak athletes in your gym who could be a young adult, could be 22, 23 years old, who is just naturally strong. And your idea is this person's strong. We can do stuff we not normally do with people their age. You know, and I think people start putting bands on and chains on and doing crazy exercises with them because they figure they're strong and we can do this. But really, they haven't trained the movements or the or the <clears throat> or the lifts to actually be able to add some of the more finer elite trained moves to them. Yeah, and um, a perfect example of this is since we were just talking about CJ is that um, his coach Ray Jones who works with a lot of youth athletes. So, you know, train, talking about training age, um, is quoted as saying that general strength is the most important thing. And that actually, in talking about weightlifting, that this technique, that snatch and clean and jerk would be secondary to that, you know? And so I think that's potentially what's behind like CJ's success is that if his, if he's, training so that he's strong and he has a good foundation and he's getting that GPP, he, you know, likely with some technique on top of that, will have a long career. And two, you got to think in a sport like weightlifting where you can have a long career and there's really no, you know, huge financial or scholarship upside. You have the possibility of doing that. But a lot of people get in problems if you have a, a basketball player or a football player or a track athlete where you need success now when you need it in big numbers so that they can go to college and get a college scholarship. And so a lot of people throw out that model and they start, you know, doing really heavy sled pushes and they start doing band work so they can, you know, be more dynamic or more explosive when in reality they should just be strong. And yet, you know, you kind of burn them out at a young age because you train them as an elite athlete when they're still 18, 17 years old. Right. But the, and really, like, simplicity would actually do them very well in terms yeah, of keep, keep the training simple. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and to all – and Kyle, maybe because, you, you know, you speak with – speak with you work with and coach our younger athletes on site. Can you go into some of the specific details of a plan? Like, what do we mean by general? What do we mean by basic? Uh, not even in relationship to a sport, but just getting someone going with the training program. Yeah, I think, um, well, it first starts out with kind of like how Sobo is saying you could have a, a athlete come in and 
so I actually have one athlete who is very strong just naturally. Um, like he has no uh, power cleaning technique, but can power clean 300 pounds. <laughs> so there's an example of an athlete who's just like physically very strong. Uh, but he's been with me for about five months now. And uh, just recently did we start really adding weight uh, or volume to the movements. Uh, we've just spent the first five months really trying to refine technique for the basic movements, for the squat, the deadlift, the bench, rows, pull-ups, uh, all those kind of things. Uh, we haven't been doing too much of the uh, general conditioning side because he's in his sports season currently right now. And once he gets out of it, we'll go more into that. Uh, but in general, fitness would just be one first, you know, just like our pyramid says, is working those uh, biomechanics uh, or just movement patterns, making sure they have those down pat. And then if you look at some sort of uh, periodized plan, uh, especially for young kids uh, where they have a very young training age and biological age in, in my athlete's terms, um, just doing uh, a lot of like hypertrophy type training, um, making sure that the movement quality stays very sound, uh, incremental progression there, sticking to very basic movements, but also lots of accessories so they get a well-rounded approach. Um, uh, so that's what I do with a lot of my younger athletes and actually a lot of my, uh, just like athletes in general. Um, so yeah. A lot of, you see some of these kids and I mean, uh, I think generally speaking, kids may gravitate towards a single sport they like, but on the whole you see, especially in high school, a lot of multi-sport athletes get, you know, they get really good at the skill of their sport demands, but it may just have mm -hmm. zero kinesthesia when it comes to the gym. So, you know, I remember reading an article that Greg Knuckles posted uh, a while back about this exact topic. And we always end up talking about Greg, um, which is fitting because he's from Asheville. But uh, Greg was just talking about like the, an overhead, a single arm overhead walk lunge. And, and I think what he was getting at there was like, this is an exercise that I'm going to use to speak to the fact that we can improve just even like basic, basic layers of balance and mm -hmm. coordination and understanding where the body is in space mm -hmm. before we add these higher layers. And these higher layers, quote unquote, are where many people are starting. Mm -hmm. In fact, maybe that those higher layers that we're considering are they're being neglected. So like Kyle, you noticed that Mar this one particular athlete had maybe a pretty wild power clean but rather than lose fitness trying to make him first better at power cleaning, mm -hmm. you improved his foundational mechanics in like, pulling, squatting, pushing, and pulling, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just understanding that when we say GPP, uh, we truly mean starting from the bottom and making sure that the foundational mm -hmm. mechanics are sound before adding anything by way of intensity or high speed or, or power. Um, because while definitely some sports require a lot more speed and power, such as in this example, weightlifting, if you don't have the sound squatting strength or pulling strength, then you'll just never be able to express it when it has to be applied quickly. Um, so, you know, CT is a really good example of that freak athlete in the weightlifting space. But we've been given questions 
about CrossFit athletes. Like how would we, we spoke about the Masters athlete, how would we begin a young CrossFit athlete? And how do you create the CJ Cummings of CrossFit, so to speak? I don't know who wants to take that first. Well, I just, I wanted to say one more thing about, about CJ and the, the training age versus the biological age there. So like CJ at this point has a pretty uh, advanced training age. I mean, I wouldn't say advanced in terms of uh, someone like Illy Illion or something, but like he's been training for a long time at this point. Uh, so you may think that he can start getting into uh, some of those uh, uh, more uh, advanced techniques, but then you also have to look at his biological age uh, and then uh, think about, okay, well, he may be, you know, up there in terms of training age, but also he's young in general. So you still have to stick with those uh, uh, more basic qualities of fitness uh, and the sport in general, because like what Becca was saying, we want him to be training for 15 years, not for the next five. Uh, so it's like you have training age is a big consideration, uh, but you also have to, it's intertwined with the biological age. And that's kind of like from our master's podcast last week as well. Yeah. And his coaches even said, you know, when they're training, there are no misses. Right. You don't miss in training when you peak for competition and having seen CJ uh, every national meet for the past three years, he just consistently puts up new records and it just seems to be like an effortless part of the natural progression that his coaches laid out for him. Yeah. There are never these primary attempts. It's just very consistent in his mm-hmm. technique, though people might have qualms about his technique. I think it's a, a unique technique that works for him, but he just consistently gets better in competition and in training. He covers his, mm-hmm. his foundational levels. And uh, uh, Sobo, one thing I was going to ask you is, you know, uh, hopefully you can think of these off the top of your head uh, if you already have them. Was if you, what do you classify as someone who needs to be more in this general fitness category? Or you're like, okay, this person's already advanced. Like, if you have someone, how do you go about uh, um, assessing them and putting them into one of these categories? So that, that's a really good question because I would argue that you would are going to see. 99.9% of your people in the general general physical preparation, that general model for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, getting into this, this unique, specific kind of subtle things that require a lot of time and effort, but have very little, you know, bang for your buck. So like you're talking about lifts or exercises that give you marginal gains. <clears throat> I would say that you, you do general preparation work until you quit seeing gains so until you've stalled out significantly and we're not talking you haven't increased your pr in a month we're talking a good solid six to months to a year of training and you haven't seen any progress then it would be time to reevaluate and maybe add some of these more elite lifts in but that still goes in that make sure those six months of training or a year is still quality training because you might have regressed in training. That's why you haven't improved. Right. So it's like there's kind of this, you have to understand, you have to have a good program in place. And then if that program's stalling, you might have maxed out the potential of that program. If the program's written well, it could be a horrible program when you're not progressing because the program's just bad. And you're like, oh, I've done squats. Now I need to add chains and bands and do negatives and you know all this stuff. Well, reality, you know what? Your squat 
program might not have been the best. That's why you didn't see any improvement. So it's almost like exhaust that resource. And, you know, the old saying, you got to beat the dead horse. You got, you, you know, beat the dead horse till it's dead and you know it's dead. And then you can move on because, you know, the best analogy I, I, that I've heard about this idea is you have one shot at some of these high skilled, high movements to do it right the first time. So if you come in and you start training with one of these high skill or high demand movements and you do it wrong the first time, you're going to do it wrong every other time because you kind of shot that bullet. And once the bullet's gone, you can't use it again. So once you, and, and we see this a lot in, in kind of speed development with athletes that once you've gone into the world of doing high speed treadmill work or over speed training, like it's hard to go back to that and get the same results. You've shot that bullet. You've improved their 40 or, you know, whatever, hundred meter dash time by two tenths of a second in two weeks. But you go back to that in a year and they, you've already shot that out of your, your gun. So you can't, that's not gonna have the same effect. So why not and, and get, go ahead. I was just saying, does that also uh, lessen uh, like the stuff that would come before it? Like, so if you did the overspeed training and then try to go back to just like more of the basic training, um, does it also make that progress more slowly? Or is it still like you could go back to the basic training and then back to overspeed again? Or is it really just like once it's done, it's done? So you can go back to the normal training and you can pick right back up. But then when you try to go back to the overspeed, you've you've kind of already ruined that 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 technique, if you would. It's it's there there's kind of tricks that people use, especially and I know strength ratio doesn't do it, but you see it more in, in really big commercialized gyms, not like, you know, Gold's gym or something like that, but like these um, performance centers that are around the country. I can think of a few that I'm not gonna name, but they have these tricks that you go in there and they say, I'm gonna prove your forty time and six weeks, or I'm going to improve your vertical jump by six inches in three weeks. Well, they use these tricks because they know that you're going to get these quick improvements and you're going to like it and it's going to look great, but you're done. You're, you're going to train there for four weeks, gain four inches your vertical, and then train there for the next three years and put one inch on your vertical. Right. I, I've seen that in some of the high, the high school athletes that I worked with over the last couple of years um, where they would you know, they're like, oh, it's all about the Vertimax. It's all about the Vertimax. I want to, I want to be able to jump higher. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, but you know, what are, but, but they, they're not seeing like, okay, if I just get better at squatting or, you know, all these foundational pieces, they're going to improve on a longer timeline. That's more sustainable. Yeah. And that's tough. I mean, they tell, tell a, tell a kid that, you know what, we're going to plan for, you know, longer down the road and they're gonna say well i need to jump six inches higher today right right so it, it sounds like we're really dealing with two things or trying to combat two things and that would be the exercise selection or, or techniques that you may apply or you know tricks so to speak to get quick uh, instant gratification and then as well i think the other thing would be the intensity with which you apply it thinking that if this athlete is showing a lot of potential, they're young, they're this freak that it just means, oh, well, we can get into mm -hmm. intensity and just naturally keep the intensities high, not realizing that if you keep the intensity high on anyone without the use of any special substances, they're going to break. Um, so do you guys have anything else or other considerations about CJ specifically? I think it segues nicely into 
who I'd like to open the discussion up with about CrossFit because it does echo a lot of what we've mentioned. But before I, I go on, I just want to. I just have one one thought, and and so well, you may be able to speak to this, but just in terms of physical development and biological age, it's something that I used to work with middle school girls and also high school girls, um, and so you know one of the considerations from my standpoint in that population was their actual physical growth. Um, and so dealing with that, you know, you've got some middle school athletes that are, have not hit puberty, their hips have not widened They're um, they don't have a high body weight. And then with a female athlete, they're going to go through that process. They're going to, they're going to develop and they're going to get a bigger, you know, more body weight, wider hips, um, potentially like biomechanically, their body is going to change. Um, do you have any insights into that physical development when we're talking about biological age and, and, and training? So yeah, with, with, you know, young, young boys or men are a little easier to train. When you get into the women, we see this a lot that, you know, young women are really good at freshman, sophomore year, or even middle school. And then they kind of disappear athletically their junior and senior year, right? Because yeah. they've either grown or, you know, their hips got wider and they're no longer as agile. The The key to that is understanding, and you, when we're not going to quit completely know which way their body is going to change, right? but understanding that the specific requirements that if it starts to go that way, how do we right. kind of train for that? And it's, you know, if the hips get wider and, you know, their, their stature and they, you know, get a little bigger or whatever happens, you got to understand that there's, there's a whole different way to train right. that, that person. Now you can't still train them like they were the young, skinny bouncing off the wall, 12 year old that you had. Right. It's a different, it's a completely different person at that point, really. Right. And you got to address that completely different. Right. And that's, that's actually something when I, I, you know, from middle school to high school with female athletes, you know, seeing a lot of knee injuries, seeing a lot of like lower leg injuries, all of a sudden crop up around the time when right after they've gone through like that physical development of getting wider hips, you know, and, and how that plays into the biomechanics of training them um, and the considerations. Yeah, and I mean, the, 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 they always talk about the Q angle with female athletes and learning how to develop more hamstring strength, especially in young females. I would claim that hamstring strength is probably one of the key things that training you know, a, a young woman that has a larger Q angle yeah. to maintain that integrity of the knee joint rather than, you know, probably way more important than a young, a young boy or a young man. And for and what, what, what exactly, uh, just for our listeners, you might not know, what exactly is the Q angle? I was going to say for so the Q angle it, in, in simple terms is if you look at a person's hips and if you draw a line straight down from either side of their hips, how far in are their knees relative to the outside of their hips? So we call that the Q angle. So if it's narrower, so you have wider hips and your knees are actually more narrow to your hips, you have a larger Q angle. Most men, their Q angle is very minimal. Their hips and their legs are almost straight down vertically, while women tend to kind of angle in a little bit more. Yeah, yeah so the big, the big thing you see, especially with women in field sports, is ACL injuries, yeah. the mechanics of which present this force that comes inwards right. in the natural kind of inward angle that women have because right. of a shallower, wider pelvis that with a rotational force added to it can cause 
ACL damage. Um, but I, I think it speaks to how, and you know, we, we talk about this, and this I was just reminded of um, recently, is that we spoke about the exercise selection techniques. There are techniques that are very foundational that people might see as being advanced that can take care of ankles and like weak lower legs. Like how many young athletes, especially field sport athletes, do you see doing deliberate ankle and, and calf work? You don't, I mean, you don't really see it in these plans, right? It's just, it, you, you go to these, um, these programs, like these Bulgarian, I, I just equate it with like Bulgarian high intensity, high fancy type training methods that aren't appropriate for the athlete. But um, interesting, interesting. Uh, well, well, real quick along those lines that Becker brought up too, is as the female body changes substantially, the athlete themselves might not have adapted to their new body style. That's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. So you have to train them right. to adapt to their new body style. It might be breaking them, breaking them back down to the basics mm -hmm. and saying, you've been training you for three years, but over the summer you hit a growth spurt and hit puberty and your hips got wider. And you can't run and lift the same way you used to because you're a different person now. And you're going to have to go back and start at ground zero and say, okay, now we got to make you move the way you can move with your structure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that, you know, especially if you've got a huge team of athletes in the weight room, you're one coach, that may be hard to um, take into, as a, in, into a consideration. But, wow, how amazing would that be, you know, if all high school athletes could – you know, experience a plan and a coach that could help zero in on that. Did you find that with the challenge for the females, it was more structural as we're speaking, and with the boys, it was more of an ego thing? I mean, I know that's a, a pretty big generalization, but maybe Sobo, you can speak to that too with yeah. like college uh, athletics or collegiate athletics. I think with the, I don't, can't speak to the boys as much, but I think with the girls, what I saw was exactly what Sobo was hitting on. It's like, they were really good soccer players, really zippy maybe in their like elementary and middle school years. And then they hit puberty and all of a sudden they're, they're trying to maneuver themselves on the field the same exact way. And they've got maybe an increased cue angle because they've um, hit puberty and all of a sudden there's, they have, but they haven't been training for that. They haven't been training for the fact that their hips are wider now and that their knees have this slight valgus, you know, they, um, and so then that's when these, what I saw, these injuries cropping up, especially in the lower legs and, and feet and ankles, knees. Cool. So, you know, moving into this development now, going from weightlifting to CrossFit, uh, we, we can get into does the current CrossFit model, which I would define as being different than the original CrossFit model, the current one being this... Mm -hmm. Uh, lifting or skill and then strength and Metcon where the Metcon is almost always uh, of high intensity. Whereas I, originally, you know, there were some rest days built into the HQ's program. There were days where you just did strength. There were days when you just did Metcon, but uh, let's talk now about like how a current class structure is programmed. And this class structure is what all members usually follow. Is this the best way to develop a, a rising CrossFit athlete. And I think a, a really good case study here is Carrie Pierce, um, who, you know, they say Carrie Pierce did CrossFit for six 
once, and now she's a regional as well. Yeah, Terry Pierce was a, a Division One gymnast. She was a physique competitor. She had done weightlifting or maybe powerlifting it was. So you, you couldn't create a better athlete to then excel in CrossFit. So, yeah. Uh, I, Sorry, go ahead, Zach. I was going to say, I, like, I, I kind of want to make this now a roundtable about um, more just general programming considerations, CrossFit considerations, and how we gauge these uh, intensities and skills uh, for an up-and-coming athlete in, in, in CrossFit specifically. Yeah, I was just going to say, and you kind of just hit it right there, we've been talking a lot about like general programming, general fitness versus advanced programming. Uh, and then uh, I was wondering if we've gone enough into exactly what that would look like. So that's what I was going to ask. Examples of the general program versus the uh, advanced program? Uh, sorry, say that again? You mean, have we not given examples of the general versus what the elite would look like specifically? Yeah, so like what actually goes into a general training program? Like is it uh, – in, in, in terms of what people might uh, recognize, like is it is it bodybuilding? Is it just Olympic weightlifting? Is it – uh, I, uh, like I what kind of cardiovascular uh, exercises look like those kind of things okay so i think this is this is how we can kind of open it up with the crossfit conversation so let's take pierce as this example so you have someone who division one gymnast because that was her, her biggest uh concentration for the longest time so there you're you're developing a whole bunch of kinesthesia right off the bat these, these boys and girls yeah yeah so uh just General awareness of uh, the body in space. Um, you you develop just before you even load the body with external, like any external load. Right, you strength to weight ratio. Strength, yeah. yeah, good um, body weight strength, absolutely. And then as this person phases, apparently then into physique, mm-hmm. you add a lot of mass mm-hmm. by way of increasing volume. You really yeah, haven't probably cool. gone into too much intensity with right. the absolute load on this person externally. And then you start laying in things that just so happen to make them good for that particular sport. Right. Weightlifting was, or powerlifting, regardless of which right. peers did beforehand, they were exposed to finer details yeah. with the barbell. Yeah. So I do think that, you know, what kind of supports all of that would also be just a really good aerobic base, not yet doing a lot of high intensity mm-hmm. exercise, keeping it low, steady state mm-hmm. while they're able to work on the volume from the bodybuilding, the kinesthesia and skill from the weightlifting, and maybe that like technique mastery with the barbell specifically in weightlifting and powerlifting. Um, but that's not at all how, how we're training kids, right. right? Like if you want to get a kid better at CrossFit, you'd probably throw them into double the intensity yeah. of a class. But yeah. doing two CrossFit wads a day is just <laughs> someone saw me before i say like it's That's stupid dangerous. but <laughs> yeah i i don't know maybe you guys want to take this out of my hand before i get too heated about it well just speaking of of the model and you got to kind of take a step back here we the model's there to be an elite crossfitter and the two guys we can look at are rich froning and matt frazier what did they do before crossfit Right. They, I mean, they both came in to CrossFit relatively new and showed dominance fairly early. I mean, Rich was on the podium or whatever his first year doing CrossFit and Frazier was up there as well. They had a base of some sport activity before they even tried CrossFit. And I, 
just with Zach talking and just drawing parallels between sports training and CrossFit. You specialize too early, you're going to get burned out. So if you're going to be a you know a football player and you try to play football all year round, it's not going to work. We see it with soccer players with kids who play soccer all year round. Those aren't the ones that go play college sports. They said something. I, I think I read a stat the other day that eighty percent of college athletes were multiple sport athletes in high school. So if you want to be good at CrossFit and you're eighteen years old, I would claim CrossFit's something you shouldn't be doing right now. You should be getting stronger developing your athleticism, developing your cardiovascular health. And then once that's had a good base, then you can step into the CrossFit world and do your Metcons and your specific movements to CrossFit. I mean, if you learn how to jump rope, you can do double unders. That's not a hard progression. If you can run and you learn to run well, doing any of the running wads is easy. And all you got to do is get stronger and then moving, you know, lighter weight for reps becomes easier. So if we jump straight into CrossFit at 18 years old saying, I'm going to make the games at 20 and you're doing huge amounts of overhead work and huge amounts of muscle ups. Our bodies have kind of, of a finite work capacity when we load it on like that. So you're just asking yourself that how long do I want to do this? Well, if I want to try winning the games, I got to look at 24, 26, 28. I mean, CrossFit's every, every year, you got to look at – I'm not going to try to win it when I'm 20. I'm going to look at it when I'm 24 when I have that strength that Frazier had or that athletic development that Froning had beforehand. Yeah, and and to, to be very clear, CrossFit has a great model that does speak to these same things that many CrossFitters, I think, have forgotten about. They talk about these same principles, right? They even encourage people to learn and play new sports. I think the – uh, Greg Glassman, namely, would agree with us. I, I know Glassman is like anti-CrossFit games now, as they seem to have diverged from the original health and general fitness goals that he uh, had sought uh, back in early 2000s. Um, but just so that people are clear, when, when and so let me know if I'm mistaking this, but when we say that the 18-year-old shouldn't be doing CrossFit, it's perhaps that the 18-year-old shouldn't be doing as you Alluded to muscle ups all the time, kipping pull ups, toes to bar, handstand push ups, mm-hmm. the skills that go into CrossFit, as well as the high intensity element, always. So, a lot of our CrossFitters who begin with us, especially those who are of mm-hmm. younger training age and biological age, um, they're usually asking for more intensity. And we have to remind them that especially if they've come to us, they may have had injuries in the past or they're looking just for something more specific, but they're not going to get metcons of high intensity from us every single day as we don't see that as being sustainable. Mm-hmm. There's going to be uh, undulating intensities throughout the week, undulating emphasis on upper versus lower body segments and the skills that may go to each, um, each part of the body as well. Uh, so when we're speaking about CrossFit, it's not what CrossFit had originally laid out, but kind of like this, games or, or bust or kind of like really high emphasis on the elite level skills in CrossFit and, and seeing CrossFit as being a competitive sport versus the general fitness and health side of things. So just want to be clear about that before anyone jumps on us. Um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know 
CrossFit has been trying, they've kind of taken over, you know, squats and cleans and pull-ups or squat, CrossFit exercises. That's still just general fitness exercises as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, I, I was going to say, I, um, uh, speaking to like this general fitness versus what, what maybe what CrossFit has become, like I think too many people spend time, if we think about like specificity, and this is kind of going back to that uh, uh, beginner versus advanced conversation, like Metcons would be very specific to CrossFit because that's what CrossFit is. So people think they have to do more Metcons, more intensity, but really they need to spend more time uh, working these underlying systems that support that piece. So muscle hypertrophy, muscle strength, cardiovascular, like long aerobic work, cardiovascular work, uh, medium intensity, uh, the skills, uh, 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 all the movement patterns, all those kind of things. And then after those underlying systems, which would be the general fitness, that's when you can start to become maybe in CrossFit terms more in the advanced. And that's when you start doing lots of like more Metcons. What I would love to see from this year's open is you have, okay, let's say after the first two workouts, Mm -hmm. you have low skill, which it usually starts Mm -hmm. as right. It almost all exclusively starts low skill, a good, like good, uh, low barrier to entry. But then what if you split Right, it's mm-hmm. so like the people who can be doing the muscle ups and the toes bar and and have put in the work for that, regardless of how they got there, the workout split. They got one thing. Mm-hmm. People that uh, get based on what percentile they're in, maybe yeah. get more appropriate workouts because we're talking now that I realize it about the open. Like right. training for the games right. involves high level aerobic right. training, yeah. involves a, a very uh, high level of GPP, but the the open itself is is has so many parameters yeah. by which it can be conducted, right? Like you have to be able to videotape it. It has to be able to be performed in a gym. Um, and it has to be, you know, it's, it, only, it, it, it's it really, it's really only 12 to 15 yeah, it movements. You, and, maybe? and you can't you know, make it like, an, you can't make it 40 minutes long or an right. hour. Like these guys have at some of the games events. So right. um, really, I guess, and if you guys think otherwise, I think we're really speaking to, the CrossFit Open and how you may have people getting into CrossFit. They see the CrossFit Open as being this infinitely scalable thing, which you can certainly make an argument that it is, but that is that the best way that they should start a training program? If when they get in, they're encouraged, hey, you can do this thing. Everyone can get into it. Certainly they should participate. It's fun. It does wonderful things for gyms. But what if they just trained as we're discussing versus training right. for the open without any foundational right. uh, mechanics or, or paradise plan. That's well, and it's, it's, it's interesting because when you just said that, it just made me think that really, at least historically, each year it can change, but historically the open's really been probably, you know, 12 to 15 movements, right? So if we, if we look at those and they're involving toes to bar, they're involving these high skill Sort of like CrossFit specificity Which, if you're, movements, if you're a gymnast, right? Though, like Pierce, a toes to bar right. is nothing. Like, right, it's going to be something that you did in your yeah. your previous training. training. Yeah, um, but it. But I think that people are seeing. Okay, we've got to take all year to get better at these 15, 12 to fifteen movements, and we're going to hammer them every day. And the time the open rolls around, their shoulders are banged up, their lower backs are banged up. Because they've spent too much time in specificity, you know, like, okay, where the whole, the whole, whole year we should be less specific as we get closer to a 
competitive event like the Open, then maybe we throw in some skill and some specificity. But if we're trying to hammer that all year long, we're going to be walking around with shoulder injuries, with who, who, who knows, you know, the common things that kind of crop up that we what might, be, what might be a good thing to answer here is because, you know, Zach said it and you just said it, Becca, we're talking about a periodized plan and we all have the same thoughts in terms of what training should look like. What would a periodized plan for CrossFit, which is really general physical preparation, look like? Like, what would you do for maybe a week, a, a four weeks? What would a three month block look like? How would a whole year be laid out? Like, how, how in general would you guys kind of answer that? Well, so I, I think we, let's work backwards, right? right. Uh, or, or sorry, let's work from the event and then go to to like the start of the new season. The closer you are to the open, the more specific, like Becca, the, the more specific you want to be with these 12 to 15 exercises, however many they are. Right. What, what, is, what is specificity in that in that case? It's it's Metcon and then the, uh, the movements that have been featured in past opens. Right? Yeah. So it, it involves a time domain between yeah. six and uh, eight, 18 to 20 minutes yeah. with a set list of movements with high intensity. Yeah. Not low and, and maybe maybe some maximum lifts as well because and they featured some uh, like uh, max clean and jerk as well. Yep, they, yeah. they featured that, and of course it's going to change, right? right? I mean, it's he, it's Castro. He's got he know he knows that it's got to evolve. As long as it can stay inclusive, it will right. it will certainly evolve. Um, and I swear, if, if if that thing happens where they split and diverge, yeah. we we now have it on record. Um, <laughs> Screw guessing, <laughs> screw guessing what the workouts are. Can you guess like how the format will change? Um, but yeah, so uh, if you even go three months before then, like where our athletes are currently, a lot of our CrossFitters, they're doing a, a lot of like their high intensity stuff is largely monostructural high intensity. They're doing a lot of like bike intervals, row intervals, just starting to uh, increase intensity, but we're not yet doing thrusters and pull-ups all the time. Right. right. Attention is a little higher, but overall uh, volume, if we're talking about uh, aerobic work here, is lower. So we're not doing like maybe like as many long pieces, intensity is a little bit higher. You may have started some like basic strength blocks, right? Like their, their, their weightlifting may still be, uh, sorry, their weightlifting may still be higher in volume, mm-hmm. phasing into something heavier. The same with their squats and presses and, and deadlifts. Um, we still have, I mean, right now our athletes are doing bicep curls, you know, mm-hmm. like they're yeah. doing, they're doing targeted bicep and tricep work, targeted hamstring and glute work. Mm-hmm. So we're getting less specific. And if we take another like three months outside of that, well, that's kind of our off season, right? right. So that's going to be even lower intensities mm-hmm. more often. I would say skill refinement, looking mm-hmm. at what happened the past year in terms of like motor control and skill because if a crossfitter is is really hungry for more which a lot of them are because they have that mentality that more is better more intensity is better well you can still do more work you can do more skill that's low fatiguing like push-ups you don't get fatigued from push-ups you want to do a whole ton of muscle-ups right ton of pull-ups but you can do a, a lot of these uh, um, low skill but high work capacity type things. Things that you could really build that work capacity up, but they're not going to be as damaging on the body. Exactly. Right. Well, and 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 I don't know what, but I would say that 
the farther they are, right, from the open, from the competition, is like keeping keeping their body weight stuff. So like pull-ups and imposed bar and dips and things like that is like keeping them strict, right? Working the whole range of motion and keeping movements strict versus they're just going to hammer kipping movements the whole year. You know, we probably put more mass that way, if right? In a surplus, you right? Know, like there, there's a lot to gain from. I think that would fall under bodybuilding, like yeah. strict pull-ups and strict pull-ups, eat totally it's bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah. So, but what do you think? I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think that doing high technical movements over and over again in training is just asking for those technical movements to become less technical. So then you ingrain bad motor programming into your training. Your kipping pull-up quite isn't as crisp because you learn to do 40 in a row, but those last 40 are horrible rather than doing 20 good ones or muscle ups. Like, you know, something you cheat your, cheat your muscle up, you know, granted the muscle up kind of, you everybody kind of cheats, but you, you, learn to cheat the system when you're fatigued and so that develops these bad motor programs that you can't get out of yeah and then you know that might that might be good for this year's open or it might be good for the next three months of doing muscle ups but if you've just done 900 muscle ups in a month you've ingrained this bad motor programming so then when it's time to go full go you're gonna fail because you've developed a bad program so, so but you were once you were once having a conversation about and, and I had athletes express, well, I don't want to lose the engine, right? I, I don't want to, uh, they have this fear that they'll get there and it will have been too late. How much of it, the open that is, and high-intensity CrossFit Metcon, is the engine or is it refinement of skill and efficiency that you can improve upon in the off-season? If you can maybe dive more into the physiology and mechanics of why this all works why doesn't it work to just mm-hmm. do the high skill stuff and the high intensity all the time from from more of a physiological scientific uh, backing well the 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 skill and the engine aren't the same thing so developing an engine you don't have to do that movement nine million times to develop the engine for that movement and I think that's where it's, people it's make the mistake. It's best to develop the engine. Yeah, it's it doing high rep muscle ups or, or you know, even chest the bar. That's not a great way to develop the engine for doing a huge Metcon. So you understand that technical skills will not break down. Your technique will not break down if the engine's there. So if you build up that aerobic engine and you have the skill, as long as the aerobic engine's still kicking in, you're still gonna, your technique's still going to be remain the same. But if your technique breaks down, then your engine becomes less efficient. Or if your engine becomes less efficient, then your skill suffers. So you got to do them, raise them both up together, but they're not the same. So you cannot increase your engine by by doing high technical movements. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then. Uh, maybe you can also speak to when like uh, a runner becomes better at running or a crossfitter becomes better at test of our pull-ups. What's actually happening there? Uh, 
what what is efficiency, so to speak, uh, on this physiological level? So efficiency is the the least mechanical and ener- mechanical and physiological energy to perform a movement. Um, in running, we call it running economy. Um, in CrossFit, they probably don't really have a huge term, probably some economical term, but it's being able to perform the movement without expending the least or expending the least amount of energy and the least amount of mechanical stress on the body. So if you can do both of those together, you will be technically sound and be very efficient. Like if you think we just had the New York Marathon, those marathoners who run marathons and you know, two hours and some change, they are extremely efficient at what they do. They don't have any wasted energy. Their their hips aren't swiveling. Their heads aren't looking around. They're, they're in line running the same stride for the whole 26.2 miles. So their efficiency is high. If your efficiency drops, then you have to match that efficiency with energy. And now your energy has a finite source. If it's in a marathon, could be your glycogen stores or how much fat you can burn. If it's in a Metcon and you're trying to go as hard as you can, it's going to be that stored ATP. So now you start dipping into that. And I think in CrossFit, you know, some of them call it redlining. So once you redline, you're done. So being able to develop the efficiency so that you can maintain a high level of movement with a technical skill longer will ultimately benefit your Metcons. And this is where you know, taking these 15 movements and even as you near your open prep and throwing them up on a wall and attaching separately a strength or squat program to it uh, may not be the wisest thing because let's say an athlete does a salt break sprints on Monday Mm -hmm. and then the day after that they have like 17.5 thrusters and, and double unders. Well, their quads are going to be blown, right? So then their double unders are going to be atrocious. Mm-hmm. And you're just not setting yourself up to be most efficient. The, the thrusters are going to be atrocious. Not, not, the double unders will be effective, but the thrusters will be the really hard thing. The thr- <laughs> thr- well, the, yeah, so what I'm saying is the thrusters will, will, will blow up on the quads, which, yeah. and then the double unders will just, I mean, you're, you're going to be less efficient, so you'll be breathing even harder. Right. I think what I mean to say is that with CrossFit, because there are so many variables, and this is not to get a programmer like super bogged down in the minutia, but just to bring an awareness around how the more you take on in a program, mm-hmm. the more you have to be considerate of how one particular bout of exercise can affect the next days. Right. And, and how that efficiency can just go to crap, right? Yeah. Um, so just something to, to think about the next time you're, Crossfitting, maybe look back on your week and be like, okay, well, I did muscle ups one day, then toes to bar, and then my pull ups felt like garbage that third day. It's like, well, yeah, you were doing two day, three days of this high, the, yeah, the same high intensity pulling, same exercise. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, have some awareness around your exercise selection as mm-hmm. you get near to the open uh, would be wise. The way the open programs is usually with some form of, uh, I guess, antagonist type. Uh, muscle groups in that unlike regionals where mm-hmm. the volume might be super high of say like a pull-up or dumbbell snatch mm-hmm. in the open it, i think it's a slightly better complemented mm-hmm. so you may also want to choose your exercises similar to how the open has paired 
movements in the past, like a jump and a press or a pull and a squat, just to save yourself, uh, to set yourself up for the best success possible, the best uh, efficient movement possible. So cool. I think we've. So one quick, one quick little trick I learned when I was training with training CrossFitters and kind of training for CrossFit. You do not need to fatigue yourself in the movement to train fatigue. So to explain that a little bit better, if you want to say, oh, I'm going to do a huge Metcon, I'm going to have to do muscle-ups, you know, 500 muscle-ups, or I'm going to do all these muscle-ups when I'm tired. Well, it doesn't mean doing muscle-ups to make yourself tired. So do something else that gets you winded or gassed, and then do that high-skill movement so that you're not fatiguing yourself for the in the high skilled movement, you you do the high skilled movement in a fatigued state. Yet the high skilled movement still very skilled. If that makes sense. Yeah. So would you? You're saying you might look to fatigue uh, or or make challenging breathing, which will certainly be the case. But you could maybe fatigue uh, certain muscle groups that might be required in the high skill before the skill without having to do 500 reps of that skill. Yeah. So let's say for an example, you say when I'm really tired, I can't do muscle ups because mm-hmm. it's a very highly skilled move. So don't do muscle ups until you're tired. Do something that makes you tired. Say go row or go for a run or, you know, do a, a salt bike, get yourself tired and then really focus on the technical side of doing those muscle ups when you're winded. Mm-hmm. Which is what the sport seems to be all about especially Mm on uh higher higher levels very cool i like i like a lot that last piece that you just said um cool so you know in this show just to recount and to allow us some uh, summarizing thoughts we looked into training younger athletes so of a young biological age and what considerations there might need to be for their actual biological age young boys versus girls and men versus women, uh, how just because a person seems to be a freak at a sport doesn't mean we want to throw them into the deep end of all the fancy tools and tricks, and also how in creating uh, the future C.J. Cummings or the the future Carrie Pierce or or Rich Froning or Matt Frazier, we might not want to start off with the highly specific. We might want to create a plan, monitor intensities, have a smart way about choosing what exercises we're doing, not just in the course of a week, but over the course of a year, into multiple years, into many multiple years. Because if you get an athlete who wants to go to the Open uh, or, or they want to make it to regionals in 2018, they show a lot of upside. Maybe you as the coach need to, especially if they have a young biological age, be a little bit past that and reel them back in. And hopefully if you're the athlete listening to this, you can we have some honest reflections about what you need to take. You're not saying don't do the open, but what, what do you really need to work on? What is your needs analysis? All right, Kyle, Sobo, Becca, any closing thoughts? Very well said. I think a good topic for the next one would be to uh, talk about how to like maybe mix all the training modalities together uh, in, a, in a week or in a plan. I think that'd be great. More yeah. specifically, it, yeah. And if, if as the audience, you you know, you guys feel that you want more focus with some of the nuanced details of programming. Ask questions. 
elsewhere. Yeah, ask questions. We, you know, we, we, we can create the same show and dive into what, what you want to hear more about. Uh, that, that's not hard. So, you know, send us over your questions on Instagram, uh, at Strength Ratio. You can also go to the website, strengthratiohq.com, where you'll find our contact information as well. Uh, I think that'll sign us off. Uh, Becca lifts on Saturday, uh, and we have a few athletes going to tom- uh, going tomorrow. And this is Sunday. weightlifting and yeah. Sunday, so we'll keep you guys posted as for how that goes. And uh, Kyle, we're glad that you're alive and well uh, for not having to bail on a safety. By the way, if anyone has any has lived through any safety squat bails, <laughs> let Kyle know how you did it um, in case we're not there to to help him. Uh, But yeah, I think that signs us off for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.